we've always done it this way, so I guess we have to do it just because. And maybe they should continue doing it this way, right? Maybe that that tradition is actually rooted in, in the word and in godliness, right? But if you don't know why you're doing it, then it's just a, a dead tradition of man and has no life in it. Welcome back to the I Have Written Podcast, gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening in, as always. Well, for those of you who have been listening for any length of time, I think you've gathered that I like to be rather blunt in my delivery. I like to be very straightforward and not leave a whole lot to the imagination. And so today's topic might rub some of you the wrong way. I think I'm saying that a lot lately that it might rub you the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. <laughs> but maybe there are things that might be seen as controversial, right? But today, all that being said, we're talking about the myth of do not judge. And I'm seeing this more and more nowadays in our culture, not just ours, but across the world, really. And it's one of the most common things and phrases that the world will throw at us, right? Do not judge, right? Christians aren't supposed to judge, so just leave us alone. You hear that a lot. I'm sure some of you have heard it. I know I've certainly heard it, right? But, you know, man, I'm just living my life. Just leave me alone. I do my thing, you do your thing, and that's, that's okay. Life is okay that way, and it's not. The Bible is very clear that... We are, as Christians, in fact, called to judge, right? The problem is that the unbelieving world has gotten very good at memorizing one verse, one phrase out of the entire Bible and then using it out of context. And the bigger problem is so much of the church nowadays is biblically illiterate and so they don't know how to counteract these falsehoods that are taken out of context. So when they say, Christians aren't supposed to judge, just leave us alone, let us do our thing, then they look at you like they just did some sort of epic mic drop, and that ends the conversation. And if you were biblically illiterate, it would. But we, thankfully, are not. Isn't that right? I mean, come on, common sense tells you that if you watch someone, this is an extreme example, but if you watch someone murder a child in the street, and you don't have, and you don't have him or her thrown in prison, but instead you just throw up your hands and say, hey, I I don't know the context here. I'm sure there was a good reason. Well, common sense states you're also also guilty of being unjust, right? That's common sense. But Christians today, in spite of common sense and in spite of the word of God, they get shaky when it comes to areas like homosexuality, transgenderism, disruption in the church, illegal immigration, anything that goes against God's law that they don't know isn't in the Ten Commandments. When it comes to those areas, they get shaky and they start to backpedal. But guys, we don't need to be scared or ashamed that we serve the one true God who has created good order, and he is the one who determines what that order looks like. If you take an invention, an item of any sort, and you don't use it for its intended purpose, 
you're going to end up misusing it, right? You're going to end up breaking it or damaging something else along the way, right? But when you do use something for its intended purpose, it's amazing. If you use a, a guitar to hammer in a nail, well, the nail isn't going to be driven in very well and your guitar is going to be destroyed. But if you use a hammer, then the nail will be driven in and the hammer, you know, will just be continuing to be a hammer. It won't be beat up at all, right? Over several, several years it will be, but in just using it for one nail, no, not at all. In the same way, God created mankind to do what they're supposed to do. And because he's the creator of mankind, that means he is the only one who has the right to determine what mankind's lifestyle should look like. All right, so let's get into this and break this down. What do you mean, Daniel, we're called to judge, right? Yes, I know in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus did say, do not judge. But that being said, there are plenty of verses that command us to judge and discern between good and evil. That's not to discard the words of Jesus at all. I never want to be accused or guilty of doing that. But once again, it's taken out of context. Don't take it don't make an entire doctrine out of one verse, right? Especially, especially one that's taken out of context. So that being said, let's read what that says in Matthew 7. So verses 1 through 5 in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, yes, granted, he did say, don't judge right there, right? But that's not the be-all, end-all of this verse. And we can see by the context that follows it, it's not just don't judge, period. We see in the context, Jesus is talking about going around and flippantly passing judgment here and there and everywhere and thinking you're better than everyone else, right? You're looking at the tiniest little faults in people and you're passing judgment and condemnation on them, right? You're playing God. And that's what he's saying. Don't play God, right? Don't pretend that you're perfect. If you go around telling people that you have your whole life in perfect order, First off, you're a liar because no one does. But the moment you make a mistake, then you have proven yourself to be a hypocrite. This is what we call an unrighteous judgment. You are basing the value and worth of people solely on their actions and you are passing condemnation on them. That's not your job, right? We do things, we correct things for the sake of love and seeing people get better, not just for the sake of saying, well, I caught you in an act. You're evil. That's the be-all, end-all of this conversation. And that's the only result of it. That's an unrighteous judgment, right? But we are called to judge righteously. And speaking of that, it says that in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So this is Jesus also saying, don't judge by appearances, but still judge nonetheless, but with right judgment. So make a right and true judgment. 
Don't go looking at things at surface level, which is what a hypocrite would do, right? A hypocrite would look at someone and say, oh, well, I think that the way you dress is evil, and therefore you're not a good Christian, right? And maybe the way this person is dressing, the person in question is dressing, is not the best or the most appropriate. But they're making a judgment on something as superficial as that, and trying to pass judgment on their relationship with Christ and their validity for the sacrifice of Christ, right? Based on something superficial. Which Jesus said, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The fact is, Christ died for all, regardless of how they look and whatever superficial things they have, right? Even the most evil person, he died for them. But whether or not they accept his sacrifice is still up to them. But when it comes to righteous living, that's what we are called to judge for, right? So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So reproving and rebuking are key things that a minister, a spiritual leader, is supposed to do. And we don't like talking about that, right? Because it gets uncomfy. Calling people out on ungodly lifestyles is not always comfortable. Quite often because it's part of their identity. It's who they see themselves as, right? And when you call out someone on part of their identity, who they see themselves as, that is hurtful and to some people downright offensive because they've embraced it as a core element of who they are. And you're asking them to take what they perceive to be a core element and rip it out of their soul and change. And that hurts even for Christians when we cling to wrong beliefs, wrong ideas. It hurts when you have to change for the better. So we are called to make righteous judgments. We're supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, of course, with complete patience. But we need to call out our brothers and sisters if there's evil in their lives, right? Not stupid, superficial things, right? Not, well, you know, and I'm serious. I've heard people who've grown up in other super legalistic denominations and such say, you know, well, I think playing football is a sin, And there's no biblical basis for that whatsoever, right? And I think I've talked about this before. It does become a sin if that becomes your idol and you base your whole identity on how well you play football or who your favorite team is and you place your whole identity in that. That is a sin. But just playing a game where there's no evil done based on the word of God, that's being a religious hypocrite. That's an unrighteous judgment, right? Take the speck out of your own eye. Because then the moment you play any other sort of game, someone else can say, well, I think that game is a sin. Are you starting to see the context here now, all right? Let's jump over to Titus chapter 2, verse 15. He tells Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke. There are those words again with all authority, and let no one disregard you. So pastors, deacons, bishops, whatever term you prefer, they're used kind of interchangeably throughout the New Testament, sort of. 
And it also really depends on what translation you're reading from as well. But pastors, deacons, or bishops must know their Bible, must know their word, and be able to clearly correct their flock and bring it under the subjugation of Christ alone. Not under religious ideas or ideals, right? Not under the traditions of men. Not under, well, we've always done it this way, so I guess we have to do it just because. And maybe they should continue doing it this way, right? Maybe that that tradition is actually rooted in, in the word and in godliness, right? But if you don't know why you're doing it, then it's just a, a dead tradition of man and has no life in it. So, yes, as pastors, deacons, bishops, what, whatever, you have to be able to lead your, the people in your church. You have to be able to lead them into godliness and righteousness and into grace and into faith, right? But you can't do that when they're all living in sin, you can't do that when there's open sin. I believe it was in it was in first or second Corinthians, I believe, where Paul calls out a guy who is having sex with his, I think it's his stepmother, right? And he says, you know, why in the world have you as a church not cast this guy out of your fellowship? Why haven't you gotten rid of him? Why haven't you rebuked him? Right? So get rid of him and then you you guys have to deal with that. You can't just let it sit there and just say, oh, well, we're under grace now. No, because we're under grace, it calls us to godly living. Grace enables us to live the way God wants us to. It does not give us the right to do whatever we want, right? And then I think in Second Corinthians, he comes back and says, well, this guy has repented and he's turned around and he's shown that he's sorrowful and he's shown a change in his life. Now we can bring him back and don't condemn him because he committed a sin, don't condemn him indefinitely and say, well, once you're out of the church, you're out of the church forever, right? If he's shown genuine repentance and a change in his life, now bring him back in and show him that grace of God, right? There's both. There's a balance there, right? But they had to pass judgment on him as a body, okay? It continues in other verses as well. First Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 15 through 16. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. That's deep right there. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So because we have the mind of Christ, Paul is saying here, we are spiritual persons. And as spiritual persons, we're supposed to judge all things. Once again, that's not going around poking at people, jabbing at people, making fun of them, uh, mocking them, bringing them under con condemnation. That's not what it's talking about, okay? What he's saying is if you are a spiritual person, then you are capable of and should be judging all things. In other words, let's get rid of the phrase judging all things and get down to what it means, right? What he means is weigh them against the word. Weigh people's actions and words Versus the word. Do they line up with them or not? Are they living according to all godliness and righteousness, right? Or are they living in evil? Are they promoting evil, right? We should not stand by idly when people are promoting evil. Because that's another thing that people are promoting nowadays that is just sinful and ungodly. Tolerance is not something we Christians are supposed to have in our playbook. We're supposed to be loving and caring, but we do not tolerate evil. 
in ourselves, in our churches, in our communities, in our families, in anything. We do not tolerate evil because in doing so, that means we're just stepping back and saying, okay, Satan, do whatever you want because I'm going to act in love. You're not supposed to act in love towards Satan. I don't know where people think they get that in the Bible, but that's not what it is. But that's what you're doing. You think you're acting in love towards this person, but really when you're enabling them and encouraging them to continue living in sin, you're saying, yep, I'm just going to let Satan have your his way in your life, and I don't care. And yes, there is that other verse that says, hand them over to Satan for the purification of their bodies, but that's a different context. That's for a different time, okay? But... You weigh things against the word. Weigh people's words and actions versus the word. And based on this verse, ergo, the logic is that the carnal person, not the spiritual person, because the spiritual person judges all things, ergo, the carnal person doesn't judge anything. Hence the phrase, nobody can judge me, right? When you're carnal, you think everything's okay, and therefore you don't judge anything. And then you see people with these dumb tattoos and t-shirts that say, you know, nobody can judge me or only God can judge me, which is just not true. And it's really, really stupid and unbiblical. I'm sorry if I'm coming off too brusque here, guys, but oh, it just irks me to no end, especially when I see Christians encouraging ungodly living. It's not good. We can't tolerate it. We need to raise the bar to a higher standard in love, of course, always. Don't be walking around just, I've said this so many times this episode already, but don't be rocking, walking around just passing condemnation flippantly here and there and everywhere. Don't do it. But judge things according to the word of God. One more verse, one more verse here. I've gone through a lot already. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This ties perfectly in hand with what I was just saying. Don't participate in unfruitful things. Don't participate in evil works of darkness, but expose them, root them out, right? Because if things are exposed to the light, then they can be cured. But if they're hidden in the darkness, they're going to hide there as long as they possibly can, right? We are to expose and root out evil. And guys, this is why the requirements in both the Timothys and in Titus are for spiritual leaders are so stringent because you can't root out evil if you're living in it. That's why he calls pastors and deacons to such a higher standard. You can't root out evil if you're living in it, right? So once again, expose evil for the sake of destroying it and casting it out, not for the sake of just saying, well, I caught you, and then you condemn the person, and that's that's it. There's no cure. No one is better as a result of the encounter. No one matures at all. No one grows at all. That's just stupid, dead religious condemnation. And we as Christians are better than that. But we are called to judge is the point of all this. And I guess I can summarize this as saying there's a whole lot more scripture that commands us to judge than that one verse that is more often than not taken out of context where Jesus says, don't judge. But if you have the context, you understand. 
It's about condemnation versus righteous living. And brothers, as men of God, we need to be able to lead. We need to be able to be fit and able and capable and strong enough to lead our families, our churches, our workplaces, etc., whatever, whatever else you can think of, to lead all these things in righteousness and in truth. We are, in fact, called the judge. And I know there's, there's a fine line to walk there because you can take this the wrong way and say, well, I'm called the judge, so now I'm going to go around and judge everybody willy-nilly just because I can, because I'm a spiritual person. No, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 because that's what the Pharisees did. They thought they were better than everybody else and they nitpicked and poked at all the dumb things that don't actually pertain to righteousness and godliness. It looked solely at outward works, at outward appearance, when God cares about the heart and how we live according to his word, what not the color of our clothes or whether or not our haircut, you know, looks like a Baptist haircut, you know, no offense to any Baptist, but you know, that was a thing for a long time. If a guy had long hair, he just went straight to hell. Some people thought, even though Jesus probably had hair down to his shoulders based on the historical context of that time. Silly things like that, right? If you don't wear a suit and tie to church, that's ungodly. You're sinning. So many dead traditions like that. That's what Jesus was countering. Dead, worthless religion. But we, as Christians, are called to expose and counteract the works of the enemy and expose evil and bring change wherever we go. Not tolerate evil, not accept it, not condone it. So guys... Be prepared to judge, but know your words so you can judge in righteousness. Otherwise, you're just another condemner out there, and the world doesn't need any more of those. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take this to heart and apply it in your lives and hold yourself to a higher standard. And then, as a collective, let's hold ourselves to a higher standard so we can glorify God, His name, and His kingdom. Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys are growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man, and I will see you in the next episode. Peace out, my dudes.